Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Parnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Amen. We're going to proceed this evening with the You We Are Son. And um, we haven't really discussed Nianis cost. We'll do it perhaps after You We Are just that I feel that we need to get to the end as quickly as possible. Because the way I see things, uh, Nianiskos is basically the link between the Technon and the Uios. And um, that Nianiskos son is one who is totally strong in the word. And he overcomes the wicked one. Um, and he's got keen sight, keen vision. And so it's this tension to grow from technon status to to UER status, okay? And it's a reach. And the primary surge from one level to the next is a strength in the word of the Lord. I write to you, young men, John says, Nianiskos, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of Christ abides in you. So what, what, what sort of pushes the young man to the adult? is a strong surge in word, and a strong surge in, in strength. I write to you because you are strong. and The word of God abides in you richly. And so I really want to encourage you, what's really going to catapult your growth in the Lord is a strong um, word presence, a strong and a strength in the word of the Lord. So I want to encourage you, never ever lose your love for God's word. Never ever lose your surge in strength that is propelled by virtue of the fact that you have become strong in the word. Remember Hebrews 5? Babes, it says, by this time you ought to have been teachers, but you have need again that one teaches you again the basic principles of the doctrine of, of Christ. And you have need of milk again and not of strong meat. Right? And it says, he who is what? Unskilled in what? The word is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But strong meat belongs to those who are mature, to those who by reason of use, regularity. Use is, the word use in the Greek is habit. Those who have put a habit in their lives of constantly engaging the word. Amen. So I want to encourage all the youth, a lot of young men here this evening. Uh, John says, I write to you young men, although he's, he's, he's referencing there a specific stage in terms of sonship, but it could very well be applicable to you as a word of exhortation. So he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God richly dwells within you, and it says, and you have overcome the wicked one. Right? What causes you to overcome the wicked one? Your strength in the word of the Lord. Amen? And uh, you become skilled in the word of Righteousness. So, you, righteousness, um, practical righteousness, that's doing that which is right in God's sight, um, only comes about because of the word of righteousness. So, absent word, you will not overcome the wicked one. 
and become um, proficient in your expression of practical righteousness. Doing that which is right in, in God's sight. Amen. And so this, 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 in fact, let's just do it quickly. Now that I've mentioned it, might as well just cover it. So let's just do Nianis cost quickly. Can we do that? Right? And we'll go on to UEOS um, if time permits. At the last session, we did cover an aspect of the mature son and that how he excels in his love, in his relationships, in his capacity to forgive men of sins against him personally. So one of the trades of, trades of mature sonship is perfectional relationships or rather perfecting relationships. Perfection in God is defined relationally in a lot of scriptures. So you are perfect when you can love your enemies. You are perfect when you can love all people. God's idea of the teleos man, the perfect man, is one that has the capacity to perfect his relationships. That's why David lived for seven and a half years in Hebron before he rules for 33 years in in Zion. Your capacity to rule in life is largely determined by how well you can master your relationships. And the sooner you can master relationships, uh, you are, the sooner you will be well on your way to maturity in your sonship. Okay? So love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Right? For then, God says, you will be sons. You, yes. Sons of the, of the Most High. Okay? And I encouraged you the last time, the you are your son is often described um, in certain characteristics that are depictive of maturity. So you'll see phrases in the scripture like son of peace, son of the kingdom. He's a son of light, son of the day. Other verses say he's a son of the resurrection. Whatever he's a son of describes him. So if he's a son of peace, means he's the embodiment of peace. He's a son of light, means this son is full of illumination, revelation, and enlightenment. I'll talk about this later when we actually do this in detail. But son of the resurrection means he's a partaker of the resurrection. Means the principle of life abides in this son, not the principle of, of, of death. Bible also calls him a son of the kingdom, not a son of the house. As that term has been branded about in, in church circles for years, okay? It's literally unpublical. Not a son of the house, you're son of the father of the house. Hmm? But the phrase, this is where you're going to see a great challenge in the years to come, in the months to come in this house. You have to transcend from being a son of Randolph to be a son of the kingdom. Because sometimes people are only faithful to their spiritual father and the mandate that he carries for his locality. But the Bible says in Matthew 13, when the parables change from the parable of the seed, sower and the seed, to the parable where the seed was sown in a field, and that seed grew up and became wheat. And remember while he slept, the enemy sowed tears, and the wheat and the tears grew up to 
together. Same chapter, Matthew 13. One parable is the seed, the, the parable of the, the sower and the seed. The sower is the preacher, the seed is the word. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, a different parable, a field, seed is sown, wheat grows, bad seeds also sown, tears grow. Jesus said, let them grow together. At harvest time, we, we separate them. And Jesus said, this, the seed sown, which is the tear, is a son of the kingdom. A Uios, not of a spiritual father. This son, you see, Uios sonship has always got a kingdom perspective. He, he, yes, he's faithful to his local house. He's faithful to his spiritual father. But he now begins to have an understanding of the broader issues relative to the kingdom. And that's why it's no great sacrifice for this son, listen carefully to me, to now express commitment and faithfulness beyond the demands of his local house. To be faithful even to demands of God's purposes in a city. Then I know you are maturing. Right? Then I know that now, this now is becoming not just a son of Randolph, or son of Thamo, he's now a son of the kingdom. That's a higher dynamic. Amen? Tell your neighbor you are son of the kingdom. Colossians 1.3 or 1.13 You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son or the son of his love. The kingdom of his dear son. You can never ever talk sonship without talking kingdom. Right? The kingdom into which you have been translated characteristically is described as a kingdom of sonship. So if you claim you we are, if you say I'm mature, I want to see it. One of the ways we know it is when there's no great um, effort on your part to now to start embrace a wider kingdom mandate, not just a mandate locally. Yes, you must be faithful locally. Right? So John Mark is called by Paul while Paul was in prison. And he writes 2 Timothy 4. And he says to John Mark, 1 Peter 5.13 tells us, John Mark is Peter's son in the Lord. Peter writes there, he says, John Mark, my, my son. Right? Hold that thought. Who is, who is John Mark's spiritual father? Peter. Paul says in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy 4 to his own son, Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak I left um, at Troas with Carpus. Bring the books. Bring the parchments, which are copies of the Old Testament scriptures. Right? But he says, only Luke is with me. Right? Do your best to come to me before the winter. And then sixthly, bring John Mark with you. Why? Because he is profitable to me for the, for the ministry, not so. Another man's, another son of some other spiritual father is profitable to another spiritual father. Why? That son is, is not just loyal to one spiritual father in terms of, yes, and let me just say, if anybody was loyal, it was John Mark. He literally wrote First and Second Peter. Well, he didn't write it. It was Peter's ideas. But John Mark was the scribe, the secretary. 
Right? So he was faithful to his father in the, in the Lord. He was very faithful. But he, he, he was able to say, I need to go to Rome to see Paul. Why? Paul's, Paul's ministry obviously embraced a wider sphere of influence then, than Peter's. And listen to me very carefully. Paul says, send John Mark because he's profitable to me for ministry. Peter too was not so territorial over John Mark and said, no, you can't go. He understood the issues at stake and he gladly released his son. You know, interestingly, interestingly I've discovered in my studying um, of, of the stages of sonship development, Timothy is always referred to by Paul as his technon, my son. At one time, Paul called him my child, right? So, John Mark is the only spiritual son referred to by a spiritual father as a Uios. When 1 Peter 5.13, when, when, when Peter said to John Mark, he's my son. Didn't say my technon. He says he's my Uios. Hmm? So what does, and, and, and I say that not to imply or to infer that Timothy was inferior to John Mark in terms of his development. Right? Remember I said to you, and there's a, there's a caution in the notes at the back, where I said, be careful where you don't over-apply the technon-uios distinction to indicate um, that one, the technon is inferior to uios because in some instances it is not used to indicate a level of development in sonship. It is used simply to describe a character of the son. And for example, uh, the way technon is used, it often describes the relationship between a teacher and the, and the learner. So Paul would often use it in reference to Timothy. But to the same Timothy, Paul said of him, I have no one like him, my technon. He even said, my technon, I can't come to you, but I will send him, for he's an accurate representation of all of my ways, my pathways, my priorities. In the, in the spirit. But for me it is striking that Peter refers to John Mark as my Uios. And Paul calls for him later to fulfill a mandate beyond the sphere of his local spiritual father. For John Mark has now emerged not just as a spiritual son to Peter. He's a son of the entire kingdom. Everyone do this. Right? I'm expecting this of this house. Listen carefully. You know why? Because don't it'll you'll become uncomfortable and possibly irritable by the demand of God upon you when your understanding in terms of faithfulness is purely parochial and local and small. Right? So we because let me say the mandate's about to, to grow significantly. And for that to happen, we need the mentality of I'm not just Randolph's son. Yes, I am. I'll be loyal, faithful. All of that's still in place. But I'm really God's son. Amen. Remember I said to you, spiritual fathering is always designed to lead, the father will lead the son into more intimate relationship with the heavenly father. Okay. You can say, and I really want to encourage you all to grow in your relationship with the heavenly father. You, you can have a spiritual father. But if you don't know the heavenly father, you are still an orphan. 
even you can say Randolph is my father and I'm not fatherless. But it's pointless if in your walk with the Lord you have not developed intimacy with the Father. The Father of all spirits. Amen. That's why I quoted that verse in Ephesians. It's a lovely verse. Um, I'll give you the reference. It says the Father must be over all. It's Ephesians 4, 6. There's one God and Father. Just take the reference down. It's not in your notes. It's in the new note if you printed it on page 20. God, there's one God and one Father who is, it says he's over all, through all, and in all. Everyone say over all. Through all and in all. Now the Bible says God wants to be what? God wants to be over all. God, it says one God and Father wants to be over all. The Father wants to be over all. The Father wants to be through all. And the Father wants to be in all. If there's anything I can encourage you to be, is to be Father-focused, Father-fixated. Don't become Satan-centric. Become Father-centric. The devil is not your, your biggest problem right now. If the Father is your world, the enemy will shrink into nothingness in terms of, of your world. He's not a threat. He's not even your problem. If you become father fixated and father becomes over all, go to your home today. Say in every room, father is in every individual in this house. Father is over all. Father is in all. Father is through all. In fact, every you or your son comes into this position where he now wants to model and express his father. The ultimate must be seen. One God, one father. Over all, through all, and in all. Okay? And then, if the kingdom belongs to our father, we were sons of the kingdom. There's no great thing we will not do to express his purpose and mandate in that sphere. No sacrifice too big. No mountain too high. No cost too great to pay in order to express my father's business and to fulfill his will in the earth. Are you prepared to become a son of the kingdom? I sense the call to elevate tonight. Right? There, there are many people that still struggle with spiritual fathering on a local level. I mean, that's, that's one thing. If you're still struggling there, this new demand is greater. This is now not just a son of the house, which is an inaccurate term, or rather, more correctly, not just the son of the father of the, the house. Now I'm a son of God, my father, that makes me a son of his kingdom. Okay? Now how do we get there? I was saying, listen carefully. In the scriptures, whenever the you we are son is described, certain terms are used to depict a characteristic of that son. Remember? So I was, I was explaining, he's a son of peace, he's a son of light, he's a son of the day, he's a son of the, of the resurrection. But the verse we read two Sundays ago in Luke 6, I think it was, in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 44, remember? Where it says, love your enemies, um, do good to those that hate you. Let's just find the reference. It's Matthew 5, 44 and Luke 6, 35. 
Let me just reread this for emphasis. I don't want to rush this, this series because I need to ensure that these things become our, our experience. Look at um, Luke 6.35. Love your enemies to good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Now think about that. I'd say there are a host of descriptive terms. Son of peace, son of the resurrection, son of the day, son of light, son of the kingdom. But yeah, it says you will be son of what? Son of the most high. And I've just said to you, whatever you are son of, that characteristic becomes descriptive of you. Right? So if you're son of light, you're full of light. You're son of the resurrection, of the resurrection you are partaker of life and of the Resurrection. You're a son of the day, a son of light. You're full of revelation and illumination. So if you are a son of, everyone say of, a son of the, not just God, it says the Most High God. Right? God, in His highest elevations, the nature of God becomes yours and descriptive of you. When you can master relationships. Then God says, see how Randolph is loving an enemy. See how he is doing good to those that despise. And it says here, lend expecting nothing in return. See how Randolph is simply operating, not even expecting a reciprocal response from those that he ministers. He's just doing it out of duty to his father. So I love my enemies, not expecting them to love me back that's how god loved us it says it's not that we love god it's that he loved us first in fact we are only able to love because he loved us first so you are the first lovers you your sons always first lovers we love first even to those that hate us we always love first why not to listen carefully your motivation to do that, to love an enemy. You simply want to demonstrate whose you are. By demonstrating love to an enemy, you prove that you are indeed God's son. Identity is, is ratified by the behavior of a mature son toward an enemy. Hmm? So every time you love your enemies, it's an opportunity, listen carefully, to be a son of the not the resurrection, not a son of peace, not a son of the kingdom. It's an opportunity to be a son of the Most High. Highest elevations, the highest uh, uh, aspects of, the, of the, the ascendancy, the height of God. Most, everyone do this, Most High, become your sons. Right? I want to be a son of the Most High. There's no other way you show yourself to be a son of great height growth and maturity, a son of the Most High in God. Then when, the only context in which you do that is when God puts you in the midst of enemies. Then you show what and who you are. Your true test becomes revealed as to where you are in your sonship by how you love an enemy. Amen? So tell your neighbor, you're not just a son of the kingdom, you're a son of the Most High. Amen. Now, 
I said we will just cover Nianis cost quickly. The Nianis cost son is a fourth level of sonship, right? After Technon, naturally in Jewish culture, it would um, refer to someone between 17 years old and and 40. If you say, um, if you're a Greek-speaking person, in English we would just say, my son. I would call... Luke, my son, when Luke is two years old, when Luke is 10, I'll say my son. When he's 17, I'll still say my son. When he's 40, I will still say my, my son. When he's 85 and I'm 100 and something, I'll say my son. Right? But the Greek-speaking people did not do that. They used these terms to classify it in terms of how the son is maturing. So from, what was the first one? Nepios. Nepios. Two nor to zero, then Pidon, I think it's two to what, ten or so. Technon, ten to seventeen, right? And then some seventeen to forty years old, Greek speaking father would say to his son, Now you're on my Nianiskos. Right? Everyone say kos. I like the Afrikaans kos. Kos means food. Right? You prove that you are Nianiskos by what course you are eating. And what is cost for us? What is our bread? Right? The bread is the word. So the key scripture for Nianis cost, look at it, is 1 John 2.14. And I've quoted it earlier. Uh, John says, I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, Nianis cost. Why? Because you are strong and what abides in you? It says the word abides in you. So if your course is right, right? Uh, your Nianis course, <laughs> your bread, the word of God dwells in you richly and it says, and you have overcome the, the evil one. So the key characteristic A there is, the Nianis course son exhibits a robust, everyone say robust, strong, a robust and consistent spiritual strength, having the word dwelling in them. Right? This is what we want to see. Strong word abiding in you. Amen? I indicated to you in the week that um, Apostle Thamo was in a meeting this week. I was also in the meeting where he rebuked the corporate atmosphere quite strongly. Very strongly, in fact. Right? For lack of appetite for the word he said, there's no hunger here. I can't say, and literally took the notes, put it aside. He says, I can't release what I plan to simply because of the lack of draw in the corporate atmosphere. And he made this statement, if you have the demand, heaven will supply. But if you come, and he said, don't come here simply to mark yourself present. Don't want to see you because you've just chosen to be faithful to the meeting. But your presence must indicate, I'm here because I love God's word. And I'm here, and when I sit, I lay expectation upon the man of God, upon God, because i got a deep hunger to hear from him. Now, when you come with that kind of spirit, I'm telling you, heaven will release certain things. Amen? So tell your neighbor, never lose your thirst and your hunger for God's word. Hmm? When you come to meetings of any nature, don't come simply out of compliancy. 
We don't want to just see you because you're afraid that if you don't come, people are going to say, where are you, what's happening? No, we don't want that. If that's the case, you would rather stay at home. But if you do come, create a demand in your spirit for heaven to supply your need to for rain from the heavens. Amen. Uh, Thamo brilliantly, in three sessions on Wednesday, the whole day from 9 to about 2, laid out the, the principle of the word of God is doctrine, but it falls like rain. And rain will irrigate. Rain will, will water your heart soil to produce. Okay? So, I declare that you are fertile in the name of the Lord. Amen? As you receive this rain that you are hearing tonight. But I want to encourage you. That's why, remember, when we did the primacy and the word of the Lord? We spent about two sessions just talking about how do I hear? How do I receive? How you process word is very important. This Nianis Kostan, it says, this robust, strong, clearly observable in his life, this guy is full of word. This young man, everything about him is word. He's word fixated, loves the word, uh, word centric, word focused. He laps up the word every single day. This guy is studying. He's not just studying. Listen carefully. He's listening to the words of his spiritual father almost daily. I do this every day. Not one day I don't listen to Thamo by audio. Faith comes how? By hearing word. Your greatest investment you can have in your home right now is an MP3 player. In fact, right now an MP3 player is of greater value to you than your TV. If you want to build faith, you want to build faith that changes your world, you better prioritize that. In my home, I got to hear the sound of my spiritual father's voice constantly and repetitively. Right? I'm telling you, brethren, there's no other way faith is going to... Once on a Sunday, and sometimes you don't hear me every Sunday, once on a Sunday is not going to cut it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. One hearing is not going to produce it. It's the repetitive exposure to the voice of your spiritual father who gives the rain, the doctrine from heaven that's going to produce the kind of faith within your spirit that's going to cause you, like this Nianis cause son, to be strong. And what does it say? I write to you why, young men. Because you are? Strong. And the word of God abides in you. And what is the natural result of that? You have overcome the wicked one. You want overcoming strength. It's only going to happen by the, the word of God. I will encourage you, those with um, CD players in your car. We're also going to have, I'm really trusting God to jack our whole um, media department up and raise the levels. We will have all the messages on sticks in, in this year, right? We'll have not just audios, but sticks, memory sticks on various themes. All the messages saved there. So as you drive, you can just plug it into your, your, your system if it allows for that. So you can hear the word repetitively over and over and over again. Amen. This, um, if, if I could just stop here and stress this point, I would. To show you how serious I am about this, it is, it is critical for me that you be... Re you know, one washing doesn't cut it for 
the man in John 9 at the pool of Siloam? Remember God says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and he was blind, but he received his sight. Siloam means sent. So there's an apostolic principle there. But the word pipto, wash, does, doesn't refer to one washing. It means to wash repetitively over and over and over and over uh, again. Amen. I plan even to listen to myself, to all the Jesus. Uh, Jules listens to it daily because, and she's blessed because she does it with the view of editing the work. And at times it plays outside of her using the earphones. So I have to listen to myself, preach to myself. And I'm amazed sometimes, oh, did I really say that? Oh, that's blessed. What I said blessed me. So I realized it was the speaking of the Lord. And I just said to Jules today, I need to hear the firstborn series from session one. I want it on my PC. I want to listen to it daily. Because there were such nuggets that the Lord released there. Amen. So would you do the same? Right? Listen to um, the voice within the voice. Turn to see it. And be transformed. The Nianis son knows how to have a rich word abiding in, in him. Then, Secondly, he has developed keen vision. For the spirit has been poured out on him and flows through him. He has a familiar reference in Acts 2. It says, it shall come in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons, that's Uios or Weos, and your daughters shall prophesy. So in this verse, the Uias son prophesies. Then it says, and your young men, that's Neaniskos, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, in the new note, there's an addendum that I added to this section of your notes. For some will only think, that the Spirit is poured upon this, these two levels of sonship stages. This verse does not imply that a Nepios or a Pidon or a Technon cannot receive the outpouring or what we know as the baptism in the Spirit. Because Acts 2, listen carefully, Acts 2 is this portion where the Spirit is poured out and they experience for the first time the, the baptism in the Spirit so Peter says, what you see happening here is the baptism or the pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. I will pour out my Spirit. And it says, your sons, Uios, will prophesy. And your young men, Neaniskos, will see, will see visions. Okay? Now listen carefully. This verse does not imply that at the Neaniskos or Uios stage of development... The Spirit is only poured out upon them. For there is ample evidence in the New Testament that the Spirit of God can be poured out on one who has just come into the kingdom. Right? Countless examples. In Cornelius' house, they heard the word. The Spirit came upon them. They spoke in other tongues. So the baptism in the Spirit was fulfilled in their context at the point of their entrance into the kingdom. Not so? Remember when Paul met John's disciples in Acts 19? He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? He introduces them to Jesus' ministry. They believe and they are baptized in the Spirit and they speak with other tongues. Right? 
All this verse then is trying to teach us. Listen carefully. Right? The, the different stages of development are highlighted in one verse. Urios prophesies. Neanis sees visions. Simply to draw reference to the fact, listen carefully, that certain capacities or certain abilities or fruit associated with the outpouring of the Spirit are more notable in their formation or maturation with certain development sa- uh, stages in sonship. Right? So in the Uweos son who is filled and baptized with the Spirit, his capacity to prophesy is more notable. Right? In the Nianiska son who is also filled with the Spirit, what, what work of the Spirit is most predominant in him is capacity for vision. Right? And vision could mean here two things. This young man, this growing son, um, yes, can see visions of God or visions of messages of God. God can speak to him in pictures, in, in, in graphic terms. He can see, he can see, literally see a vision. Do you remember Acts? Peter was sitting, he was hungry. Remember the Bible says he was hungry? And he fell into a what? A trance. So, and the Bible says, and in a vision, he saw a white sheet and all unclean animals. And the Lord said to him, in the vision, arise, Peter, kill and So God can speak to you in visions. Visions, okay. The primary way of God speaking is through the, through the word. All this is saying is that a, a notable feature of the Spirit's outpouring in the young son developing, this Nianiskos son, who is a rich word in him, he overcomes the wicked one. This guy starts to develop proficiency and he's becoming responsible enough to handle visions. Hmm? Tell your neighbor, handle visions. Right? So the Spirit is poured out and on all sonships. Nepios, Pidon, Technon, doesn't matter. All this scripture is saying that in the Nianis son, the most notable feature and evidence of this outpouring is a proficiency to see visions and the capacity to to handle those visions. Has God ever spoken to you in a vision? It's easy. Just get hungry like Peter. <laughs> you start seeing things, let me tell you. You're hungry, you see anything. You start seeing burgers, mutton bunnies. <laughs> so the Nianiskos son has this got capacity to be positioned for God to speak to him via visions. But let me just say this also. This vision, the word, use of the word here, doesn't only reference that kind of vision where God can speak to you in pictures and communicate something valid to you. It also speaks of someone who has sight, vision. Right? And Sam in his descriptor says, In this son the word of God is alive and sharp. He has overcome the, the evil one. This son has what? Keen eyes and he can see what others can't. The Spirit is poured out to him and through him. And he's ready to claim the largest uh, victory over the largest obstacles to maturing in his life. Amen? So it's not just the capacity for God to speak to you via some pictorial vision. You also start to see clearly. You have keen sight. And where others can't see, you see. Right? 
you start to judge people's character more accurately. Right? Nobody can pull the wool over your eyes anymore. You're no more Pidon. You're no more Nepios. You know, it's, just, it's like, you know, I did this in Nakala. I was trying to illustrate this tension between Technon and Uios. Because in the middle is Nianiskos. This side you have Uios, and this side you have this Technon. Right? And I, I do this. It's like you're in one level, and you're reaching out for this maturity. You want the Uios, and you're still the Technon. And in the middle is this Nianiskos position. And what is the journey? This verse says, become strong in the word. Let the word abide in you richly and overcome the wicked one. Then Acts 2 says, the spirit is poured out on you. So you know the baptism in the spirit. You know life in the spirit. Right? Because when you get there, it says you're led by the spirit. Right? The U.S. son is led by the spirit. Right? So this Neanis cost son is, is reaching forth for the highest things. Right? Now, there's one last thing that he must overcome, this Nianiskos son. Before the, the heavens can open over him and the Father can say, You are my son, in whom I am. Well, please. And I put it in the next note. Point C. The Nianiskos son is ready to claim the victory over the largest obstacles to maturing in his life. There is that one thing. Everyone say one thing. There is one thing that irks you, one thing that holds you back, over which you must get the victory before you go on to maturity. Right? Now, in the life of this son, the reference is Matthew 19 and verse 20. Jesus has a discussion, the Bible says, with a rich young ruler. Young, Nianiskos, right? And uh, good teacher, he asks, what must I do to, to get eternal life? Right? And Jesus, Jesus' response, can I use somebody's Bible? Matthew 19, from verses 16. I want to read this context for you from the scriptures so you get the message. Listen to this very, very carefully. So we're reading, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 19 from 16 to 25. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, Simple, just keep the commandments, right? Jesus says a very simple answer. You want life? Keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? The clever chapters. He says, which, exactly which commandment must I keep for me to have eternal life? Now, please, if you're a good Bible student, Jesus now starts to quote the Ten Commandments, but does not list all of them. Only six, Right? There's really five. There are six statements here, five of which are from the Ten Commandments. And notice the response of the Lord. Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. 
honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself right is the sixth addendum the young man said to him all these you should underline the word these in other words the ones that you have quoted jesus omits all the others but he quotes specific ones and this guy's response is no problem jesus i've done all that or haven't done all that depending all these i have kept what am i still lacking he knew something's wrong what more do i need to do jesus said to him if you wish to be what complete some of your bible says perfect the word is teleos a mature fully grown man who wants maturity let me just say if you want i sense the lord speaking to us tonight if you want this one there's that one thing that you're lacking that's preventing you from making the fullest transition in your life and you know what it is in your heart and i would encourage you simply do it and get your inheritance faster than you think simply do that one thing you know what it is in his context in his scenario was this jesus said if you want to be complete mature to lay us go and sell your now i'm not saying this is your problem this was his problem his problem was jesus says go sell your possessions give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven come and follow me and when the young man heard this statement he went away how was he happy very sad he went away grieving why was he grieving for he was the one who owned much property okay jesus said to his disciples truly i say to you it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven again i say to you it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god so um the eye of, of the needle was that small opening in the base of the wall of a city which was open to travelers who came to the city way past the time when the city gates would shut this is like coming to the border when the border post is closed and you can't go in so tra- travelers would come to a city and there was a time when for security reasons gates would be such, uh, shut but tradesmen merchants especially rich guys that bore a lot of um, cargo or had great wealth and possessions and were in transit come to a city late at night see the gates close there was provision made you can go into the city through the eye of the needle small opening at the base of the wall but to do that you'll have to take all the goods off your camel right for the, for everything to fit through the camel so everything will have to be dismounted you'll have to humble yourself and go through hmm? so jesus it'll be easier it's easier which is difficult virtually impossible for a camel big creature to go to the eye of the needle it's easier for that to happen than for a rich man if he truly counts the cost to enter the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven now and here's the statement that i really like um when the disciples heard this they were astonished then they said hey who then can be saved then there's no hope for anybody and here's the statement looking at them jesus said to them with people this is impossible but with god all things are possible you know we've taken this statement and misapplied it 
in context, Jesus is saying, to do the thing that you deem the hardest I ask you, for you to enter your maturity. It's difficult from a natural humanistic perspective, because you're trying to do it in your own strength. But do it in God's strength and it will be possible. From a natural point of view, you deem it difficult for you to obey God for that last thing He asked you to give up. Because you're trying to give it up in your own strength. You're trying to overcome it in your own strength. With men, that is impossible. Some of you have even resigned yourself and said, this quality of life we will always have until we die. We've had it, our children have it, so shall it be. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are, all things are possible. You see, Jesus only quotes five. You see, the commandments are divided up into two parts, the Ten Commandments. The first four express devotion to, to God, love the Lord your God, have, uh, serve Him only, have no other idols before Him, do not worship any graven images, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They are always Godward, God-focused. The rest of the six are like this. They all bear reference to how do you relate to men? Don't cover, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Not so? The first set, Jesus doesn't mention God. He regards him what commandments? He only mentions what I call the relational commandments. Commandments that depict one's relationship to other men. But Jesus only quotes five of those commandments that bear relevance to one's relationship to men. He leaves out, thou shalt not covet. It's not quoted here. Covetousness was this man's biggest problem. He held on to things. And Jesus knew that Jesus saw in his heart. So Jesus says, let me give you the ultimate test, bro. Sell all you have, give your money to the poor. Come follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. Right? What does the Bible say in Luke? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Unfortunately, this, the location of this man's heart was in his earthly wealth. And covetousness, the desire for greed... And to hoard things. You know why? He, he manifests signs of a typical orphan. An orphan is concerned about the future, about provision, about protection, about preservation. So I have to hold on to what I have to ensure my well-being in the future. That's why it was the hard thing Jesus asked him. He was rich. This, some of your Bibles have as a heading, the rich Nianiskos ruler. Right? That's why, you see, God will never ever give fullest inheritance to this caliber of individual. Because while he has things, those things have him. While he possesses things, they really possess him. And he wouldn't easily give it up uh, to express obedience to the Lord. So I feel tonight God is asking all of us, it, this might not be your problem, this was his problem. But I want to, to encourage you to hear the principle. God is saying to you, there is that one thing that you lack. There is that one thing, you have my word, yes I know you love my word. The word abides in you. The spirit is poured out on you. I know you can see visions and you have sight. But there is that one test, listen carefully. Imagine this guy did that. You know what I believe? You know what the Bible says? If you are unfaithful with managing unrighteous mammon, how can God commit to you the 
the true riches of the of the kingdom and if you want to take notes it's luke 16 from 10 to 13 right you'll find this portion of scripture he who is faithful in little is faithful in also in much and he who is unrighteous in a very little is unrighteous also in much okay therefore if you have been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth who will entrust to you the true riches so if you are unfaithful in handling money unrighteous wealth how can god give you the capacity to handle the the true riches of the of the kingdom uh, sam said money is the lowest threshold of blessing in the kingdom of god it's the least we all want it but it's really the least but he said this it is always used as the measure of a test it's always used as the measure of where the man is or the man's eligibility to handle the eternal things because god says i can never give you management and stewardship over its eternal issues if you didn't prove faithful with handling the the least on our first truth and akala i shared with you the entire honorarium um Sean's a witness. I didn't even change the dollars that were given to me. I gave it straight as an, as an offering, first offering to my spiritual father in the Lord. Um, it was transferred to me immediately. Put it from my hand into his hand. Why? I want to demonstrate to God that these things don't own me. I can steward unrighteous mammon. And it's no problem to give it away. To or in obedience to a principle in in god and you know part of the reason why i think we had such success on this trip besides our personal preparation besides the grace of god in us and his enablement besides the great prayer and fervent prayer that went up from this congregation and in um, zimbabwe i really believe it was because we honored the principle of the first fruit from that region went up as an as an honor to god so if you prove unfaithful with you know now, now what am i trusting god for? i'm saying god then now when i pray and i think about going back there which we are going back in september i'm thinking lord now give to us management of truths give to us stewardship put into my hands principles from your word that i can impart to the brothers there that will change the environment forever right we can handle unrighteous mammon not give us the capacity to steward your will your purpose you you always the one is always used to test your eligibility for the use of the other amen thamo often says people ask him how does he receive all the revelation that he has and his response is one of the things he puts it down to is his generosity in his gifts in his giving if you're, if you're faithful with unrighteous mammon the nianiscos son no problem to demonstrate i can overcome the greatest obstacles in my life in his case this this one's case it was covetousness greed and the desire for to hold on to his wealth in other words i will give up anything even at the point of jeopardizing from a carnal point of view my economic future but i will do it for god's purposes and for god's will 
For when I do, Jesus says, now you have eternal riches. Right? The one is always used as a measure of eligibility for the other. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Pass your Nianis course test. But get the right course. Make sure you're full with the word, full with the principles. So when the time comes to obey, it will be effortless. But you need the word. You need to be convinced that all the things you have been taught are true. And they are the word. And that will cause you to, to, over, to overcome. Amen. One last principle. Then we're done. At least we're done with Nianiskos. Amen. <laughs> Fourth point. This son learns to serve valid apostolic ministry practically and and spiritually. Now, the context here is Acts 5. Uh, in Acts 4, Barnabas sold his whole property and he brought all the money, all the profits to the feet of the apostles. In Acts 5, and then I see him do this and not just Barnabas. The Bible says everybody was doing it. So they did not want to be seen to be out of sync with what the corporate atmosphere was doing and complying to what was then a clear leading of the Lord. Right? People um, made great sacrifices, sold properties, businesses, and brought all the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And the nice and Sapphira see this. They sell their property. Listen to the story. This is Acts 5. So everyone's doing it, they do it too. But they did not bring the entire proceeds of the profits of their property to Peter's feet. The Bible says they brought a portion, but they presented the portion as though it was the whole. They should have just come clean and said, this is not the entire proceeds. This is just an offering from that that we are giving. But they misrepresented their gift. When they come before Peter, Peter's response is, why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? Hmm? You're talking to Peter, but Peter says, not lying to me. You're lying to the, to the Holy Ghost. And Satan has inspired this, this lie, this it's not just a lie, it's a hypocritical act. Hypocrisy is to parade a truth that is not really there. Right? You're being false. Right? Now, remember, um, Ananias came in first. Sapphira was not there. So he falls down dead. He's judged by God in the house. Then the Bible says, yes, the verse, well, let me, let me just say this. The young men, the Nianiskos, the Bible says young men carried him out. His wife who wasn't there, she comes in and supports the lie. So Peter says, the young men, the Nianiskos men that carried your husband are waiting now to carry you out. Imagine telling a lady that and she's still alive. What he's saying to her, listen, prepare to take your last breath because... The guys that carried your dead husband out are about to carry you out. Right? That's why it's important for husbands and wives must check each other when there's violation of divine principle. Don't support the error of your spouse because both of you will get judged. You must correct each other if you see we are out of line here. We are now treading on dangerous ground. 
So they both, she dies, and here's the verse, Acts 5.10. And immediately she fell at his feet, and she breathed the last. <gasps> oh, <gasps> Father. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they, young men, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Hmm? In, in the early church, young men conducted the funerals. Hmm? The apostles didn't get involved with this. So if you die, the young men sort them out. <laughs> Take them out and bury them. Right? Now, symbolically, obviously this is symbolic. The apostolic ministry was being entrenched in the early church. Death was in the house. Who carries death which has resulted because of an apostolic judgment? Who carries that out? Young men. So I say the point like this. The Yaniska's son, the young man, starts to position himself practically in support of valid apostolic ministry. What is the apostolic? The apostolic is all about bringing accuracy to the house. So any false dynamic will be judged, it must die, and it must be removed from the house. And this Nianiskos son might not be an apostle, but starts to think and function like one. He's an apostolic mentality, an apostolic mindset. And he's focused upon the, the removal of anything decayed, the removal of any death-smelling thing. The removal of anything which God has judged in the house that should not abide in the house. This son rises up, stands alongside his father in the Lord or his apostle in Christ and says, I will take it out. So he preserves the culture of life and the purity of the atmosphere. Everyone do this. he's, He's saying, if I smell sin, if I detect it, I will address it on behalf of my father. I will expunge it from out of the house. And you know, this is, whenever I think of this incident, this is like early church. Holy Spirit falls in Acts 2. Right? Church is birth. You could Acts 3, they do mighty things. Acts 4, they start, there's oneness. Everyone say oneness. Remember? They start selling their things and there was not one needy one among them. So the group is really going... Remember, all in Acts 7, the deacons are installed. Remember? Yeah, in Acts 5, it's very early days in the early church, and people are dying. In other words, the move of God has just started, and there's death. What is God's focus? God is concerned at the incipient stages of my move. Before I allow this thing to grow and develop, Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 8, before it can mature... While he's still young, I will snuff out any mindset, hypocrisy, lies, and otherwise that's going to potentially um, neutralize what I want to build. Right? And the Nianis son rises up and he says, I will stand alongside the Lord, his apostles and his set men, spiritual father, and I will attempt all my might. And this is very practical. So I want to encourage you, Nianiskos sons, because you're all Uios, I know you're all there, because you have Uios within you. But you know, whenever I think of these stages of sonship development, you know, right from Pidon, from Nepios, Pidon, Technon, Nianiskos, and Uios, 
there's some positive characteristics associated with each phase. Not so? It's not all bad. There are just some negatives associated with some stages that must be overcome. But there's some powerful things. And so I said, like, I, I would like to think of it like this. Every positive trait is subsumed as you grow up into the next level and the next level. Right? And so these aspects of the Nianisko son become Uios. This is now the son over the house. Not just a servant in the house. He's faithful over the house. Not so? Okay? And so I want to encourage you. Carry the dead out and bury. You put it underground where it's not visible. You take it from out of this context. You come in here and you, you, this is discernment now. You smell something dead in your brother in the house. Something's going to threaten. And usually God will do this at the, while we are still at the initial stages of something brand new. We're about to, and aren't we? About to leave one phase and go into another. And I'm saying, God, when we go into our next building, I don't want to be doing the same kind of counseling that I did when we were at the previous stage. I don't have the same problems there that we were. Now I expect the sons to rise up and say, don't worry, my father. We'll carry the dead out. Right? Apostolic ministry is a ministry of rectitude. You are in an apostolic house. That's why ministry comes out in this nature. We are serious about rightness, rectitude, honor, correct living. Purity, holiness, pushing the purposes of God more than any other thing. Amen. So stand with me. Okay, we didn't get to Uios. Well, we did in some respect, but there's still much to do in that respect. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands to the Lord. Your inheritance awaits you, sons. That one thing you lack, get over it. Pass your test that you're going through now. The son knows how to give up the things that of great value to him personally. Things that he apprises and holds dear to his heart. No problem to do that in, 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 in deference for the higher value that he places on God's purposes. Starts to proceed to becoming a son of the kingdom. Extracts every death element, every decayed, every incapacitated element from out of the house. He wants to maintain the purity of his father's house. Father, we lift up our hands to you, Father. We want to become these. The Uios son. The Nianis cast information towards Uios. We are your sons in the earth. This higher dynamic, Father, we ascend to, we accede to, we reach out for. I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would cause us to grow exponentially in our sonship development in you. I want to be sons of the Most High. I want to be a son of the kingdom, son of peace, a son of the day, a son of the light, son of the resurrection, son of the Most High God. I want to be a beloved son in whom you are well pleased. I want the heavens to open over me. I want no limitation, Father. I press toward this position. Press toward this position, and not just on my behalf, but on behalf of the house too, Father. You, you love us, dear Father. You love your sons. We are your beloved sons. It's your intent 
to mature us in the fullness of your nature. I ask, O oh God, that we would grow with you in intimacy, in knowledge, in understanding of you as our Father. Help us to be Father-fixated, Father-centric, not Satan-centric. Help us to be obsessed by you only. You are our world. You are over all. You are in all. You are through all. Help us to see your nature pervade our total environment. To see your nature splattered upon every part of our existence. Over all, in all, through all. That's what you are, Father, to me. We lift up our hands to declare our love for you. We love you, our Father. You're my daddy, my papa, my God, whom I love, my father. And I'm your son. Thank you that I'm not orphaned. And I will do anything to do your will. Go anywhere, so long as the will of my father is done. Here we are, Lord. Use this house corporately, Father, as a you, we are son. Ones in whom you can vest your purposes. There's nothing we would eat, uh, not even count the cost to give up, Father. It's simply to please you. And do your will. Like Paul, we would say we don't even count our lives dear unto ourselves. If by any means we might fulfill the ministry that you have given to us. We ask let your will prevail. Let your smile intensify over your sons. May we bring you pleasure. For your pleasure we are and were created. We exist for that Lord. So we pray that you would empower us to obey you fully Father. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.